Well, good evening. Good evening. <laughs> good evening. Welcome to Refuge. Um, just uh, excited to continue going through Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 23, and um, we're going to be covering uh, you know further preparation for the Israelites going into the Promised Land. Um, you know, uh, some of these things that uh, we've taken a look at, um, you know, actually all of them, in some way, shape, or form, um, can serve you and I. And one of the things that um, I keep pointing out is that no matter what section of the Bible you look at, there's always some kind of application that you can draw from it, uh, because it's all, um, it's all truth. And whether it's a word of warning, um, instruction, correction, uh, you can always glean from the Word of God, and it, and it serves you. And uh, so it's no different this evening as we go through this chapter and, uh, and we, we study and learn what God has to say to you and I this evening. And um, one thing that we should always be prepared for as we come to the Word of God in study is, uh, is, is to, to truly listen. Um, not listen for any, anything else other than the Word of God. The Spirit will give you understanding um, he teaches you all things, uh, and so we need to be prepared to listen to what the Spirit has to say to the church, and so the Spirit has something to say to us this evening, and, uh, and I'm, I'm excited to what and how he's going to say that. So let's pray, and, uh, and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we, are, we are one more time. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, um, love us the way you do, teach us the way you do, and Lord, your desire for us um, is amazing in that you desire to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, um, to correct us, and do all of those things, Lord, that we may bless and glorify you, Lord, but we, in turn, Lord, as we abide in you, Um, Lord, we are under the shadow of your wing. We are taken in with such great care and compassion and love. And it is just mind-blowing that not only did you save us from sin and death, Lord, but you also care for us on a daily basis. And so thank you for your love. I pray that this evening, uh, Lord, would be a an expression of our love for you. As we desire to do that which is most important and the greater part, and that is to sit at your feet. We thank you for this time. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 23, uh, we continue um, with different laws. Uh, What we'll see here is Uh, are a few exclusions as far as uh, who gets to enter, who's allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord, um, as well as um, the um, commandment to ensure that those who go out to battle um, maintain their purity and holiness before the Lord. Uh, And we'll see other uh, laws as we continue. But let's start out with these exclusions and inclusions in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, which says, 
No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way. When you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. In verse 7, this is the inclusion. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were a sojourner in his land. The children born to them in, in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. So, um, we just read some of the exclusions from the assembly of the Lord. These, these are, uh, this is what's forbidden, not allowed. Um, they're not allowed to be a part of the assembly of, or entering into the assembly of the Lord. But before we get into the exclusions and inclusions, let's, uh, we need to first understand what exactly is meant by the assembly of the Lord. Uh, we can't do that any better than to look at scripture for that. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. The assembly of the Lord is referred to as the gathering of the Lord's people. An assembling, uh, it can be, mean a nation or also those who are representing the nation. But in these first few examples, what we're going to look at is uh, the Lord's people coming together as a nation to worship the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 22 says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly. At the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. That is, the mountain that is spoken of here is when the Lord gave the law and it's Mount Sinai. They all assembled. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God on the day of the assembly. Now, I know there's more in between there, but the point is getting to the fact that they all assembled in worship to receive the very word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 4 says, And he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before on the day of the assembly. Now this is between the first time when he came down, Moses did, and he broke the tablets, and then he went back up, and they gathered once more as he brought back a second time the law of God. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 16, it says, Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly. And then we go on to Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 30, which says, Then Moses spoke the words of the song until they were finished in the ears of all of the assembly of Israel. So this is in worship to the Lord, which all of what we have before us is assembling to worship the Lord in the very same fashion in which we're assembling before the Lord right now. It's worship. You know, sometimes we, we just, um, uh, you know, think of worship as being what we just did. You know, that's a form of worship. We're singing God's praises. We're, we're uh, praising Him. Um, we're just loving Him and in expressing it in that manner. But this very thing, what we're doing right now, what Mary did, you remember Martha and Mary, Mary chose the, the better part, right? And she sat at the feet of Jesus 
and listen to him attentively. That is worship as well, sitting at his feet. This is the very same thing that we see here with the people of God as they assembled together, worshiping the Lord and receiving the law of God. The assembly of the Lord is also referred to as a representative body of Israel, that is the leaders. Uh, We know that the elders and officers of each of the tribes serve as the representative body or group of leaders for the rest of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 28 says, Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. Now, uh, calling heaven and earth to, as a witness against them is, is to be calling heaven and earth to be a witness against the Israelites themselves, for they were all guilty. Um, now, these are all referenced in the same manner as far as the word is concerned, but this latter reference to the assembly of the Lord would, would kind of seem more fitting in some instances, as we'll see as we go along, and not so much in others. But I wanted to get a good understanding of exactly what that meant. You know, it's not one or the other. Some commentators that I, as I was reading and studying, you know, were more kind of almost dogmatic that this, this was just referring to the leadership of Israel. But we know from Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 5, that this can be. And this is why. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 56, 3 through 5, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So, that's why I say in some instances, even what we just read It does apply to the whole nation. In other parts, it's just for the offices uh, in the places of leadership within the body, within the people of God. Now, with both of those being understood, we can move on and we can see how it is that they are described here. In verse 1, it's men whose external genitalia are crushed, deformed, or removed by way of accident or by a deliberate act. Um, These people are not allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord. Now, according to Isaiah 53, they are allowed to come into the assembly of the people of God, right? And they are blessed. So, in this instance, we can deduce, right? that this has to do with having a position of authority or leadership within uh, the the nation of Israel. And so that's what we have here. Now, there are a couple of reasons why this would be forbidden. Number one, eunuchs were a a common product, you could say, of pagan rituals and ceremonies as they were dedicated to their pagan gods. And so it was part of that. Secondly, A eunuch was a man who was altered in a very specific way that marred the image of God and was an act of attempting to make what God created different than what he created him to be and to be able to reproduce. So eunuchs very clearly in the first verse are not allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord. Verse 2 speaks of no one uh, being... uh, 
born of a forbidden union is allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, I know the New King James Version says those of unknown parentage are excluded, but the ESV is more accurately, uh, more accurately states this, and no one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Forbidden unions, we need to define that, and we define it by Scripture. Uh, scripture says that a forbidden union is any incestuous relationship, mixed marriages with neighbor nations that the Lord had forbidden from Israel to partake in, and those born of adulterous relations or fornication. So, in those latter ones, um, remember that there has to be two or more witnesses in order for that person to be uh, tried and found to be guilty, right? And so it doesn't mean that they didn't um, partake of that, but that they weren't able to be um, found guilty of it. But there are children who are born through that. In John chapter 8, verse 41, you remember the time when the Pharisees and there were other Jews that had really, uh, they had um, accused Jesus of being born uh, from sexual immorality. Uh, because Mary was found to be with child before having been married to Joseph. And they knew that this would exclude Jesus from possessing any authority among the Jews. But the virgin birth was true, and thus Jesus' deity was and is and always will be. But they, of course, as we know, as we're familiar with Scripture, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, uh, the religious leaders, as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, um, were really aggressive in pursuing Jesus and trying to uh, have him get twisted up in his words and commit some kind of a, of a sin against the church, against the people, against the law. I didn't say the church, but the, the people, the nation, and the, and the law itself. And they rejected his deity. So he was accused of sexual immorality, which, of course, is not true. Now, from there, so no one that was um, from a forbidden union was allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord. We also have in verses uh, 3 through 6 that no Ammonite or Moabite may also are allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord. And the question, of course, is why? Well, there's several reasons. Verse 4, as we look at that, says, Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor. Well, for these reasons alone, the Lord said, they are not to enter into the assembly of the Lord. They, as you came out of Egypt, I delivered you from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, and you were in need. They gave you nothing. They were heartless toward you, my people. They didn't bless you. Remember, God will bless those who bless his people and curse those who curse his people. Not only did they not bless them with those things that were necessary, but they sought to curse God's people by trying to hire Balaam to go and, and curse. But that turned around on them. And instead, he proclaimed a blessing upon them. Now, there's no way that he could curse them. Uh, it's interesting, though. As, we, as I took a look and, and considered the Moabites and the Ammonites, do you know where the, the Moabites and the Ammonites come from? From Lot. Exactly. Now, I thought Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt as she turned and longed, right, for 
Sodom and Gomorrah? Just turn around. So, where do these two come from? Daughters. Exactly. That, as we listed earlier, was a forbidden union, right? So I thought, well, that's, that's interesting, right? That not only did they not bless the nation of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt, but they tried to curse them when they themselves came from a forbidden union as well. Yes, the two daughters of Lot had gotten their father, Lot, drunk on two different nights. The first night, the first daughter went in and lay with him, and she conceived. The second night, that daughter said, you might want to do the same. And she did do the same. And so we have the Moabites and the Ammonites coming from a forbidden union. For these people, the Lord gave further instructions to the Israelites to not even seek their peace or their prosperity. Don't seek their peace. In other words, don't feel sorry for them. Uh, you know what can happen when, you, when the Lord forbids something. The Lord says, no, don't go there. And, and you kind of have this soft spot for whatever it is. You know, it could be. Remember that do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals, right? Oh, I just, I, I, I just feel for them and I have to be around them. And Well, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, right? And we have to heed these warnings because he knows better than we do. And so he's telling them, they're heartless toward you. They're in my hands. You know, vengeance is the Lord's. It's not ours. Right? And so we leave it in the Lord's hands. We just follow his instructions, his commandments, and know that we are better off for that. And so they were commanded, don't seek for their peace or their prosperity. Verses 7 and 8, and then we have a couple of groups who are to God... Um, laid them out or he listed them deliberately to make sure that they're included and allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord. Seven, one more time, you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were a sojourner in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. So these are to be included or allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord. The Edomites, you guys know where the Edomites came from. Esau, Esau, red, right? Uh, who is Esau? He's whose brother? Jacob's brother. So the Lord was saying, don't abhor an Edomite for he is your brother in a very true sense. And the Israelites were commanded by God to not be disgusted by them nor abhor them. In other words, don't express any hatred toward them whatsoever. And this is interesting too because Esau hated Jacob. Well, number one, we know that Esau had sold his birthright for what? A bowl of stew. I'm starving. Give me a bowl of stew. Well, give me your birthright. Okay, no, no big deal. Sold him his birthright. Now, the blessing of the firstborn. 
<sighs> what happened there? Jacob stole it, right? He stole it from him. So Esau hated, hated Jacob. And then Esau, at some point, married an Ishmaelite. This all comes together. An Ishmaelite. Um, so who, who is Ishmael? Ishmael is the son of Hagar, which was from Abraham. Uh, Isaac was the son of promise, but Ishmael was the son of the flesh, Right? And so it's interesting that so this came, the Ishmaelites came from, from Hagar, the son of the flesh, uh, from Abraham. But to both of these, both to Esau and, the, and to Ishmael, God had promised that he would make a nation out of both of them, and he did. And here God is commanding Israel to not hate the Edomite and allow them to enter into the assembly of the Lord as well as the Egyptian because Israel was a sojourner in his land. So, in a very real way, we have Ishmael, we have Esau, and we have Egypt, all in, in those two, in, in, within the Edomites themselves. All there. And God said, I'm not forbidding them to enter into this, the assembly of the Lord. He told them that they, were, they would be nations, they were nations, and they continued on. Now, Israel, um, Israel was, in a way, Blessed by coming, they went to Egypt. They spent how many years did they spend there? They came in as a as a big old family. Four hundred years, four hundred years, and they came in as a, a large family, and they left a nation. How many people left? Yeah, about two million. So the Lord said, you were a sojourner in the land of Egypt. You also shall not abhor them. They shall not be a disgusting sight before you. And you shall allow them to enter into the assembly of the Lord. So the Edomites are a mix of Esau, Ishmael, and Egypt, all of which God commanded Israel to not hate, but blessed them by allowing them to enter into the assembly of the Lord. Let's talk about Israel's army. Verse 9, as we continue, when you are encamped against your enemies, then you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. If any man among you becomes unclean because of a nocturnal emission, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp. But when evening comes, he shall bathe himself in water. And as the sun sets, he may come inside the camp. You shall have a place outside the camp and you shall go out to it. And you shall have a trowel with your tools And when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. Now, God's people, even when assembled as an army, are to maintain holiness unto the Lord. They are not to allow themselves to fall into compromise before the Lord and subject themselves to anything that is evil. Um, I know that sometimes we think of um, soldiers, airmen. Um, we, we, we think of 
military people as sometimes just being like loose cannons and just going out. You know, we see Rambo and things like that. And so we're like, yeah, that's, you guys, you guys know what Rambo is? Maybe young people don't, right? Okay. (laughs) But that's not supposed to be the case. And that's actually not the case. Our military is very orderly. um, And there could be nothing done well if it wasn't disciplined. But for the Lord, this is something that the Lord had commanded them. Allow nothing evil to overtake you, to overwhelm you, to be a part of you as in, a, in a way of compromise. A nocturnal emission would make a man ceremonially unclean. And thus he would need to remove himself after the, uh, from the camp and not enter the camp until after dark. And even at that point, not until he washes himself, he bathes himself. And then at that point, he can come back in. Each soldier also was to carry some type of small shovel or a trowel, as we see explained here, with him in order to bury his excrement. Some of these words, if you don't know what they mean, look them up. I know um, the first verse was just very clear, right? Um, But as you go on, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? Um, but even that, you're to, to bury it, you're supposed to cover it up. The thought behind this, knowing the reason as it was given, was that God is in the midst of his people. Think about this. And nothing is to be left exposed that would be considered unclean and indecent. The camp was to be holy in every way, personally and environmentally. As God's people, uh, you know, we, we should take care of not only ourselves, but also what God has entrusted to us, our, our, the place in which we live, in which we worship. It, it, it should be in a condition to where we know we're, we're worshiping the King with everything, with our whole facility, with everything that we, that we, uh, that we have, but that, again, we're entrusted with. Now think of it this way. The army belonged to the Lord. And his army was used as an instrument to bring victory to him and further his promises and his plans. The army was an instrument. And this instrument was his people. He was always the commander of his armies and present with them. If earthly commanders were in our presence, the military would be on their best behavior and go to great lengths to make sure their camp and themselves were, as we would come to know, squared away. When an officer comes into a room, who knows what is immediately shouted out? Um, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, t- attention on deck. Attention on deck. As a Marine, you should know that, right? (laughs) And you do know that. It's been a while, though, right? Yeah. Attention on deck. Whether it be a general, any commanding officer, any officer, myself as an enlisted, I remember when officers would come into into our presence. It didn't matter if it was a room or if it was outside. If they came into our presence... 
There was someone who would always, hopefully, they caught him, and, and would say, attention on deck. Or, ten hut, right? You didn't, it didn't matter. You just, you got up, and you stood at attention. Now, here's the other thing. When we were going to be inspected by the captain, even more so by an admiral, oh, my, we were cleaning the whole ship from top to bottom. It's like, he is not going to inspect up there. There's no way he's going to inspect up there. And down there, too, everything was to be spotless. Spotless. Shiny work. That's when you, you shine all the, the brass, you know. Oh, man, brass. You have, it's just, everything is crazy. You have to repaint everything. Everything is just spotless. Why? Because you were to come and present yourself, your whole unit, your ship, all the equipment to him, so that he may know that everything is truly squared away, clean, organized, properly dressed, gear and equipment in good working order, and ready to present themselves and their men to the admiral, the commander, the general. Why would anything less be given to the Lord? If anything, it should be much more, right? And that's a thought, as I, as I thought about this, we are to remove ourselves from anything that is unholy. Well, we, are, we are part of the Lord's army, we are enlisted by Him and for Him and for His glory. He is in our presence every moment of every day. Why would we not present ourselves in everything unto the Lord in a manner that is fitting? of the King, of the Creator of the universe, of our Lord and God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So to be set apart unto the Lord and to be devoted to the Lord and to be loyal to the Lord is to desire to always bless and glorify the Lord in all you think, in all you say, and in all you do. 2 Chronicles Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. That's what He's searching for. He's searching for people who are faithful and loyal, who have, as we learned on Monday, right? Have integrity. Spiritual integrity toward the Lord. The Lord knew that In King David, he had a man after his own heart. Was he perfect? No. Did he make mistakes? Big ones. But he knew whom he sinned against. He asked for forgiveness as he repented and popped back up. Lord, I'm yours. Come what may. I don't want to fall into the hands of my my enemies or anyone else. Please, allow me to remain in, in your hand. You discipline me. You do whatever you want to do with me. I am fully and completely yours. Right? God is looking for more men and women, daughters and sons, who will have the same attitude, the same perspective, being completely loyal to the Lord and being found trustworthy. This is all in preparation for the people of Israel 
entering into the promised land. Now, let's take a look at escaped slaves here and what the Lord has to say about that. Verse 15 says, You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. Now, this is in reference to a slave or a servant that comes from a foreign land. Because we would have problems if there were servants among God's people and, you know, they're not returned. It's a, that's, that's not the way it works. So this is strongly implying that this is from a foreign land. They came and they escaped from their master who was in a foreign land. Now, they were not to be sent back but were to be allowed to dwell among the Israelites, and as they chose. And it's explicitly implied that to send that slave back would be to wrong him. Wrong him. Now, with that said, though, we need to also take into account that this person dwelling among the Israelites were to also abide by the law. As he comes to dwell among God's people, he, was, he has willfully subjected himself to God's law. He is not free to do as he pleases. If it is in contradiction to the law that governs God's people, then he also was to be held accountable. But rather, this slave as he does subject himself to the God of the Israelites, the one and true and only living God, this slave would come to know the blessings of God on his people as an adopted son or daughter, allowed to dwell as one of God's by God's grace, by God's mercy, by God's compassion. We today know this as our own reality in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We, as adopted sons and daughters, can cry out with great affection and confidence to the Lord, Abba, Father. We have been adopted in Jesus Christ unto the Father. And so we see the heart of God demonstrated in this law right here, in this commandment. But we go on. In verse 17, to another subject. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog or a male prostitute into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. No prostitution, no income is welcome. It's an abomination to the Lord. This prostitution is not what we would think of today as being prostitution, um, but one that is directly used in the ritual worship in pagan pra- religious practices. Specifically, and we see this right from the beginning, um, this is referred to here as uh, in, in cult prostitution. If the quote-unquote opportunity 
to make money as a prostitute is presented to an Israelite, male or female. God wanted to make it very clear. This is not an option. The offer is to be rejected because it is rejected by God and is strictly forbidden by Him, and it's considered by Him to be an abomination to the Lord their God. Even the money that is made from this act is not to be brought into the house of the Lord and used to make payment for a vow. It is considered, again, an abomination to the Lord their God. God does not need any money from prostitution or any other form of illegal activity. It pollutes, well, we say it's illegal, but he was saying it's an abomination, it's sin. It's, it's an affront, it's a shame, it's, it's, um, it's behavior, it's an act that is unbecoming of the children of God. It pollutes that which is to be conserved as sacred and consecrated unto the Lord. Why? It's fornication. It's sexual immorality. And it has already been deemed earlier as an act of evil and an an abomination to the Lord. Uh, This is that forbidden union. Uh, Turn with me, hold your place there, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is what the New Testament has to say about, about this. And this is just in one place. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, saying, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We need to understand and have a, a clear understanding of sec, what sexual immorality is. It's a union that is forbidden by the Lord because it mars and it perverts the image that God designed for it to represent within the, within the context of marriage. And so it's beautiful in the context of marriage. Outside the context of marriage, it's a perversion of that very thing that God designed for this intimate relation to take place in. So it is what the Lord has said it is, and he has commanded that his people were not to become one with a prostitute, nor should they themselves become a prostitute and make money doing this very thing, because, as he said, it's an abomination to the Lord. So he instructed him in that, and then from there, and these are just different things that he is laying out before his people, uh, next, we go on to loans. So, it's just different subjects that we go on to. Let's talk about that. Verse 19, as we continue, you shall not ch- uh, charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. 
You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. All right, so no interest on loans for your brother. God was ensuring that his people were not taken advantage of in their most needy of times. In the times when they were just down and out, their brother could not come along and say, hey, you know what, I have a few, few extra bucks. You know, I'll give you 100 bucks, and then when you pay me back, just pay, pay me back 150 in a couple weeks. We're good. <laughs> no interest. No interest whatsoever. The Lord was ensuring that those having financial difficulty were helped out. Not oppressed, not taken advantage of. And this command uh, covered everything and anything that could be lent at interest. You know, I give you this and you can use it, but I want more back. Whatever it may be. But a loan to a foreigner can be charged interest because a loan to a foreigner is normally um, reserved for business transaction. It it was... uh, uh, a merchant would come and, and they would be loaned money in order to do business and then they would charge them interest. And, they, and the Lord was very clear to a foreigner that was coming in, you can charge interest. To your brother, you may not charge interest. It's for the benefit of my people as a whole. And so help them out. They are required to pay you back, but it's without interest. It's without interest. Now... Um, Verses 21 through 23 is speaking of fulfilling your vow. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's see what it says here. Verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Too many people make foolish vows. Um, I hear people flippantly all the time, I swear to God. What, what do you swear to God? You know, as, as Christians, as we learn the word of God and, and we know that this, this should not be coming out of our mouths. We, we're sensitive to that, aren't we? We should be. You hear that and you're like, oh, why is that? That person is just saying it without any knowledge whatsoever. No knowledge, very like, ignorantly. And if they do have knowledge, wow. Right? Too many people make foolish vows when in an emotional state. Uh, people find themselves in difficult circumstances and they start making deals with God. I promise, you know, people do this all the time too. If you just get me through this, I promise I'll go to church on Sunday. I will do this for you. I will do that for you. And is is God really looking for that to begin with? No. He desires a surrendered heart toward Him. He wants you to know repentance fully completely that's what he desires he desires salvation for us he desires that we walk in the fullness of the spirit according to his word 
desires that we would abide in Christ. But too many people make foolish vows in this emotional state that they find themselves. But the circumstances do not make an allowance to neglect to make good on the promises that we utter, that we speak, that we make. Because God requires a vow made to be followed through with and kept. God does not consider a vow or a promise as a small thing. He said that to make a vow and not keep it is to be guilty of sin. The Jews were known to make vows, and depending on what they swore on, it would be valid or not, or could be considered lesser or greater in its degree of seriousness. Interesting. Guys, as people, we can make up all kinds of rules. You know, we kind of played that as kids. We made up our own rules, you know, and with our, our friends and our neighborhood, you know, kids that we would hang out with. What do you want to do? Let's do this. And you know, these are the rules. That's kind of the same thing. It, it reminds me of that. It's like the, the word of God was very clear. His laws were clear. And yet they were saying, hey, these are lesser than the others. You know, the, this vow didn't, that, that actually um, did not take because you swore on the wrong thing. The gold of the temple, is that, is that good enough? Oh, yes. No, if you swear on the gold of the temple, then that definitely holds water and you are to be held to that vow. But if you swear on, you know, and it goes on and on like that. Jesus, therefore, clarified. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, 33 through 37, he says, Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what th- that you have sworn. What you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So he knew what they were doing. So he wanted to, hey, let, listen. Don't swear by anything, and nothing belongs to you. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. James 5.12, James said this, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In other words, God requires us to be men and women of our word. We should simply follow through with a yes or a no and have integrity in what we say. We have no ownership of anything in heaven or on earth and therefore cannot give it as collateral for the words that we say as if they could affirm anything. Only our actions will affirm our words. God never requires us to make a vow. You know, sometimes we, you know, unknowingly we think, oh, we, we need to make a vow unto the Lord. We, no, He does not require us to make a vow unto the Lord. But does require us to make good on a vow if we voluntarily make one. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. As God's people, we are to be a people of integrity. And others should know that. And then finally, in verse 24, it says, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, 
but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. All right. So eat only what you need. A person was allowed by God to eat some grapes and eat some grain from a neighbor's field, but only what was necessary to satisfy their immediate need, to satisfy their hunger, a need for sustenance. They were not to be um, forbidden entrance and to take some of what they needed uh, if if they were hungry. There was a situation where the Pharisees had accused Jesus' disciples of, they, they violated not the law, but they accused them of violating the Sabbath. Uh, you know why they were accused of violating the Sabbath? This is another one of those rules that they made. Because they rubbed their hands together. That was considered work. And so they violated the Sabbath. Um, God's intention for this was to serve man in his time of need. And make sure it was clear that this was not the breaking of his commandment to not steal. That I, I don't want you accuse, I don't want you to accuse someone who is in need going into your vineyard or going into your field and taking a little bit of food for themselves to sustain them. I don't want you accusing them of stealing. They're not thieves. They're simply taking what they need for the moment. And God was making sure of this by providing this commandment, by giving this commandment. We just learned last week that God commanded His people not to ignore a brother in need. Right? If you see a brother in need, don't hide yourself. Don't, don't ignore. Don't go in the opposite direction. Help them out. And by the way, even in that commandment, did you see anywhere in there a restriction on the days in which they could do this? There was no restriction. There's no restriction. You see someone in need. He was telling his people, help them out. They're hungry Give them something to eat. It it doesn't matter what day. Listen, they're in need. They're your people. They're my people. They're my children. You're blessed with a vineyard. You're blessed with the produce of a field. Give them a little bit and make sure that they're taken care of. Don't withhold that from them. It's man that puts certain restrictions on others. But God doesn't as far as the needs are concerned. God is a provider. We sung it, right? He's our, he's our provider and he truly is. And sometimes he desires to use you or myself, to us, right? To provide for the moment for someone else. Let's, don't, let's not pass up that blessing. For sometimes that's a blessing to us to be able to do something like that for someone else. Especially to those of the household of God especially for a brother or a sister in need. We are to do this for our enemies. If we are to do this for other people, how much more should God's people help out God's people who are in need? So all of these commandments are given by the Lord. This is, again, in preparation for them to enter into the abundant life. 
I say abundant life for us, right? But for them, it was going into the promised land. All of these things are relevant to today as we apply them to us today, as I have made uh, every attempt to translate them into today. Um, we, we bless the Lord, we glorify Him, but we as His people are also blessed and built up and we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we not only are, are people of the Word, but a people who exercise that by faith in action. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You once more for Your Word. Lord, Your Word is nourishment to us as Your people. For we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of Your mouth. I pray that this evening was a good meal. Lord, that there, was, uh, there were moments to where um, there was instruction, maybe conviction, Lord, and others. Lord, just I was thinking as far as let your yes be yes and your no be no. Lord, I don't know of a single person that in some way, shape, or form doesn't, doesn't fall short of that. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be strong, to be men and women of our word, that we would have integrity. Lord, that we would remain, uh, maintain that holiness before you. Always keeping before us, Lord, the, the thought of your presence. Lord, that as we present ourselves and everything that you've entrusted to us, we do so in a way, Lord, that is fitting for a king. The Lord of lords, the king of kings, Lord, you are the creator of the universe, and Lord, you are our God. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would pay attention to the details of our lives. That we would come before you. Our lives being a reasonable service, a right sacrifice unto you, our Lord and our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.